Hey, one more thing before you go. In this episode, we share the journey of a woman who, in the prime of her life, was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. We're going to learn what it was like to get that diagnosis, what it takes to persevere through being told you have cancer, how to find support, how to make the best of a bad situation and learn to laugh in the midst of life's obstacles. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About Cancer Not Defining Me. My guest in this episode is Catherine Canoplo. She's a speaker and holistic health coach who says that cancer does not define her, but it has shaped her during her journey through this cancer. She discovered there can be laughter and cancer. After studying with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in 2017, she created Inspired Vitality. Catherine specializes in supporting people impacted by cancer with her individual coaching by providing resources, practical tips, and emotional comfort. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you so much, Michael. It's such a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you sharing your journey with me. It's been an amazing journey. Absolutely. So let's kind of start in the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Minnesota, right in the heart of Minnesota. It's kind of cold up there. I live in Arizona. <laughs> it is so cold sometimes. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Colorado, but uh, now I live in a hot, hot region of let me repeat that. Hot, hot, hot region of Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been there. Well, I, if you come down, I would I would absolutely recommend anywhere from October through May <laughs> and avoid it June, July, and August for sure. And if you come to Minnesota, I would definitely avoid November to, oh, maybe March. So I uh, grew up in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area, uh, and I have one brother, and he is a year and a half older than me. And I uh, went to, I did go move to neighboring states of Wisconsin and North Dakota for periods of time to attend college. But otherwise, I've, I've mostly stuck to Minnesota uh, with my mom and my brother. This works. Um, so where'd you go to university? You said in North Dakota? Uh, I went first to La Crosse, Wisconsin, and attended what is now Viterbo University, but it was Viterbo College at the time. And then I went up to Fargo, North Dakota, Moorhead, actually Moorhead, went to Moorhead State University, but Moorhead um, Fargo neighbor each other. So spent some, all the, spent some time all in that there. cold region. <laughs> I did. I don't know. Crazy. So what did you study? I studied uh, first advertising and then I switch, switched to mass communications. Advertising and mass communications. So did you make a career out of that? I did not. Um, I think I was a little bit lost at the time. I was a little bit... Um, not sure where my direction was going at the time and found it much, much later in life. And it's not until I would say it after cancer is when I really truly found my passion. And um, so ended up going back to school many years later, uh, which we can jump into uh, once we we start my cancer story, but ended up going back to school and studying with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And that's where I truly found my passion about uh, learning to uh, help people, but also learning about the holistic approach to health and incorporating um, all aspects of one's life and understanding how much everything plays a role in our health. Yeah, I'm really excited about getting into that, actually. Um, obviously, because most all my listeners actually know the way that my philosophy in life, and um, I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in hearing that. So, do you have kids? I do. I have two, and they are my pride and joy. I have boy-girl twins, and uh, I like to say that, um, actually, they are the best thing that I've ever done. They are, the, that is, um, being their mom is really my primary role. And they were born three and a half months early. They, uh, my daughter upon birth, so uh, she weighed just one pound, one ounce. 
and my son was one pound, 13 ounces. So they uh, were born in 2000. They're almost 21 now, but they are my complete pride and joy. They both do have special needs and have been through a lot. After being born, my son was in the hospital for four and a half months, and my daughter was in the hospital for nine and a half months. So that began really my process of being immersed in the medical community once they were born. I can imagine. (laughs) And and being exposed daily uh, for an extended period of time to doctors and nurses and physical therapists and later occupational therapists and, and really being immersed in the medical community. At what point during this journey did you uh, go see a doctor? Did you have any symptoms? Did you have just a normal, like a mammography or something um, that was just like a standard regular exam once a year? What told you to go to the doctor for yourself? Because I know that a lot of stress, obviously taking care of kids like that, right? in that situation, um, it creates a lot of stress and stress sometimes evolves into cancer. Right, exactly. Uh, Stress is very harmful to your health and managing it is so important. I actually feel like at the time of my diagnosis, I was really healthy. I had had a mammogram eight and a half months prior that came back as normal. I had been, I, I simply had to go to an annual checkup with my OBGYN. So I went for a checkup and it, that was in February of 2015. And she, upon exam, she was examining my breast. One more thing before you go is sponsored in part by Superpass. Take your business online, create a website and an iOS and Google app designed specifically to instantly share your content and get paid for it. The tools you need to grow your online business, share your offline skills online with your most, with your own contact site, and finally, keeping everything in one place. Superpass allows you to build on your customer relationships. You keep 100% of your money, you get personal branding, and it it is cost-effective. It's more than just a website. Get started with Superpass. Find the link in the show notes. This is a fantastic opportunity to have a Netflix-style app with video, podcasts, audio, articles, blogs, everything in one place, beautifully curated, all in the palm of your hand. Please check out Superpass. It's a brilliant opportunity to stay connected. So in February 2015, I went simply for an annual checkup. And my doctor was examining my breasts and she felt a lump. And she said, hmm, I've never felt this before. And I want to back up and give you a little bit of context in that prior to that, I had been having some perimenopausal symptoms. And one of my perimenopausal symptoms was that I was feeling extremely sad. I was depressed. Not, I didn't feel um, like I would harm myself or harm anybody. I was depressed in the, in the, just extremely sad. I wanted to lay down on the floor and cry for no reason. And I knew it was hormonal. And so my doctor had put me on some hormones. She had told me, um, one of the side effects of the particular hormone that I was on could cause some lumpiness. So anything that I felt or I attributed to this medication that I was on. So I was at the doctor's office. She felt a lump. She um, expressed concern and said, let's send you to get a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound. I went then to that diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound and did the ultrasound second. And when the ultrasound was complete, the technologist went and got a radiologist. And that radiologist came in and said to me, the lump was not still as very evident on the mammogram. However, on the ultrasound, he could see an area of concern in both the breast and the lymph nodes in my armpit. 
And I saw a look on his face. And it was the same look that I had seen in doctors when my children were sick and in the hospital. It was a look of being really concerned and not wanting to say anything until tests confirm. Because, of course, they don't want to reveal information um, that is unconfirmed. And at that point said I needed to go for a biopsy. And what were your feelings? Um, I was scared, obviously. I was in panic. Um, and like I said, I think because of my extensive medical history in the community, knowing that how he looked and knowing um, how things progressed, I felt in me that my my fears and my panic were very valid. So I'm going to ask you this because obviously, as our previous discussion, we've had a lot of cancer in my family. So do you have a history of cancer in your family or is this something that, that just evolves within you? Right. So my maternal grandmother had breast cancer as well. And I had an aunt who had uh, colorectal cancer. However, whenever I discussed my family history with my physician, they said that the breast cancer with my grandmother was not a close enough relative to be of concern. So I was, I was getting mammograms. I was, I was really diligent about going to my doctor annually. Um, and yet the one, um, thing that I was unhappy with in my care process, and it may have been, you know, where we were at with times with testing was that all along when I was getting my mammograms, I was told that I had dense breast tissue and yet there was no comment about how to follow up about it. And me personally, I didn't ask the question that I didn't know what to ask. You know, sometimes you, you, you don't know what to ask. So you don't ask the question. And I wish I had followed up and said, okay, so if I have breast dense, dense breast tissue, should I be doing some other form of testing? And it was never offered to me. And at the time, 3D mammograms were not as prevalent. And they're a little bit more widely available now. And had they been available, I may have been getting 3D mammograms. My cancer may have been detected sooner. Because like I said, I was I had a mammogram eight and a half months prior. And at that diagnostic mammogram, that doctor was telling me it, it still wasn't able to be detected very easily. It was it was hard to see because of the the density of the breast tissue. Had you felt any pain? Were there any other, any other symptoms that may have no. presented themselves? No symptoms. Like I said, I I felt actually very healthy at the time. So I went for the biopsy. The following week, I waited five days, and. In that five days, I was so scared that I felt like I needed to have a little bit of control in a situation that felt very out of control. I felt like I needed to do something besides just wait. And I contacted some local people that I knew who had had breast cancer, and I got doctor recommendations. And I looked at biographies of doctors and just kind of gathered information so that I would have it if I needed it. And when I went for that biopsy, the doctor was very straightforward with me. She said that the tissue did not look like normal breast tissue and uh, even offered to show it to me. (laughs) And I said, no, thank you. And so she said I would get the results in one to three days. But it was actually the very next day I got a call from a nurse, somebody I didn't know, a stranger whose job it is to call people and say, you have cancer, essentially, and set up appointments. And she said to me, I think you know you have breast cancer. And she went in to tell me about some of the pathology that they did know at that point. And she um, then wanted to start setting up appointments. And because I had had that period of time to wait and look into doctors, I had said, okay, here's who I want for an oncologist. Who's here? This is who I want for a surgeon. And 
So she jumped into making appointments for me. I think you had a nice benefit. I won't say nice benefit. That's the wrong terminology. I, it was nice that you had the benefit of the experience that you had gone through in order for you to really understand, because there's people that get thrown into this diagnosis that right. literally don't know what to do next and where to go next and how to understand what to do next. Exactly. And that's, I think that's some of the things that you've incorporated, and we'll talk about it here in a little while, into helping others through that journey. Right. I And I think I agree. And in my experience with my children, it just taught me that the relationship with the healthcare providers is so important. And I think that's why, for me, it was important that I choose my doctors rather than them be assigned to me. Yeah. And that's, it, it, it's different for every person. Some people don't want that. They, they want to just be guided in their process. Whereas for me, I, I want to be a partner with a healthcare team. What were your thoughts about um, your mortality at that time? My thoughts were, I don't know if I can use the language on this podcast of what my actual thoughts were. My podcast <laughs> is an open and honest podcast. Um, uh, my, uh, my thoughts were, fuck, <laughs> or what am I going to do now? My thoughts turned immediately to my children. Um, this... I think when you have, and this is no disrespect to anybody that has children whatsoever, but when you have children that have special needs, your thought is always about who is going to care for my children. Your, your, your children aren't necessarily, and this is my case, your children aren't necessarily going to go off at 18 or 20 or whatever age and, and live their independent lives. And so facing my mortality meant an extreme worry for my children and what's going to happen with them and who's going to care for them. And um, it, it took the facing the mortality to another level for me. And I think we as parents, whether we have special needs kids or, or not, that's one of the first things that comes to our mind when we are faced with any life obstacle that stops us in our tracks and not the unknown and right. the uncertainty of what what's going to be in the future. Absolutely. You know, it's in my position, which is not the same as yours, but um, just a different life journey. You know, the same thing. The first thing you think about is my children and so that's a normal thought. I think that you know anybody that that's out there is listening that is going through this or unfortunately may have to go through this. It's okay to think that. It's okay to reflect upon that and that there you know there's no there's no harm in that. You you need to you need to process as you move forward in this you need to process it so that you have a full understanding and you can better set your own path of how to overcome this, which is what you kind of did. So what was your like? At, what was your life like after diagnosis? Right. So after diagnosis, and, and, and I have to say that I was really scared, and then I jumped into function mode, and I just took care of what needed to take care of. So I was diagnosed, and exactly three weeks later, I was in surgery to have a double mastectomy. and. Then that was in March of 2015, and then I began chemotherapy in April of 2015, and I had chemotherapy for five months, and then after a short break, I had radiation, and that was for six weeks. And uh, I'm sorry, go uh, ahead. I'm sorry. Just to interject, if you don't mind, please, can you help us understand, you had a double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. what, would the, what is the need to continue to go through chemotherapy? and and the radiation. Right. So chemotherapy, the surgery removes the cancer, ideally, right? They they go in, they they take out the cancer and they remove tissue, surrounding tissue, and they're looking for what they call clear margins and making sure that there's no cancer in the surrounding tissue. And for me, I had uh, cancer in my breast and also in my lymph nodes under my arm. 
They removed 23 lymph nodes and I had cancer in three of them. And the purpose of chemotherapy and radiation is to ensure that there's no rogue cancer cells in your body. When cancer can be such microscopic cells. And so, yes, the, ideally they remove all the cancer. However, if there's any microscopic cancer cells remaining, the purpose of the chemo and the radiation is to kill off any remaining cells so that it doesn't redevelop. Oh, thank you for, for expressing that. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, continue. Um, so I, I chose, um, and it was a personal choice, I chose to have delayed reconstruction. I did want reconstruction. At the time um, when I was discussing choices, at the time of diagnosis, I was discussing the choices with my oncologist and my surgeon. And part of the reason for me for doing delayed reconstruction was wanting to choose a separate uh, plastic surgeon. And when you do reconstruction at the time of a mastectomy, it, it takes more coordination because one doctor does the mastectomy, one does the reconstruction. And so you're having to coordinate multiple doctors for surgery. And I wanted that cancer out of me as soon as possible. So in, I essentially went an entire year flat uh, after having reconstruction and began, or excuse me, after having my mastectomy. And then it was in the spring of 2016 when I began my reconstruction process. And that was several surgeries in itself. I think we probably have already covered this, but you know, I mean, as I, as I told you before, the history of cancer in my family and then my sister, my sister beat it twice. And I've discussed that in several of my episodes. Um, and just coming from, from listening to her and her perspective, what did you fear the most about going through this whole process? I feared leaving my children. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the going through treatment, going through surgeries, all of that was really, really hard. I have to say the emotional impact, the emotional healing was harder than anything I went through physically. And so my fears were really based in not being there for my children and I have to share a story with you that it was in the, the spring of, no, excuse me, the summer of 2016. And I was, I was really, I had begun that reconstruction process and I was rebuilding my body physically, but I felt stuck in that fear, stuck emotionally. I felt like I was so scared of recurrence. I knew that they had removed the cancer. I knew I had you know, done that chemo and that radiation to try to ensure that it was completely gone. But I was so stuck in that fear of recurrence. And one day I was in an online message board specifically for breast cancer patients. And I was communicating with other breast cancer patients and I read something by a woman and it felt like somebody was pulling me out of quicksand. And what this woman said is, I didn't want to look back decades from now and realized I'd lived that entire time in fear. And that kind of snapped me out of my fear per se. And, and I like to say the fear is always going to be there, but I don't want it to be something I think about every day. And that is my goal for myself as well as my clients is helping them so that they're not stuck in that fear every day. There's still events that trigger it, but um, moving out of being stuck in that fear is really about not knowing that in the meantime, I need to live. Yeah, I think setting a plan to persevere and a strategic plan to move your life forward in a very positive way is, is a is a good thing. Right. And I know a lot of people get stuck within the, the pain, the guilt, the fear, like you said. And in order to kind of overcome that, you have to set goals. Right. And you, 
And I think that um, we're going to talk about that in a little bit here because of the what you created, I think, helps people to set those goals. Mm-hmm. Um, the At what point did you learn to laugh through this? <clears throat> I honestly, that's one of the things that I wish I had incorporated sooner. There was bits here and there. Honestly, the first time I met my oncologist, (laughs) he made me laugh, and that was so helpful. So I'll I'll tell you briefly, uh, I, I met this man for the first time. I had chosen him, but I met him for the first time, and he wanted to examine me, and I hopped up on the table, and he started examining me. He wanted to feel the lump himself, and he started with the unaffected side or the non-cancer side. And I rolled my eyes and I thought to myself, this man doesn't know where the cancer is. He hasn't read my chart. And I looked at him and I said, "Um, it's the other side. And he says to me, yes, today you get a twofer. (laughs) And that kind of set the tone um, for helping me realize that, yes, this was really, really serious. However, I can laugh. And I had bits and pieces of that throughout my treatment. And yet I still, I, I got drawn into that, to that fear. And it was in the fall of 2016 when I met somebody uh, who became a great friend of mine. Her name was Rachel. And it was, I met her online again through these message boards. And we became close friends really fast. When we met, she was stage four. And we took our friendship offline. We would text and talk constantly. She lived in another state. We never actually met in person. And some of our conversations were so heartfelt and amazing. And we would laugh and cry literally in the same conversation. One minute talking about death and serious of cancer as she was facing her last year of life. And in the next minute, laughing about the silliest things and, and about her son and about my kids and laughing about craving onion rings and, and silly things. And it was her, it, it was Rachel who taught me that I had something to offer, number one, but she was really the one that demonstrated for me that there can be laughter at the same time with, in conjunction, at the same time as having this big trauma going on in your life. That's amazing. She she was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't she also the one that helped you to kind of like realize you want to go back to school? She is. You're right. Yes. Just showing me that I had something to offer. I never, when I, when I finished treatment, I didn't want to do the walks and raise the funds. And I didn't want to be known as the cancer patient. And I have complete respect for those people that do that work and, and thank goodness for them. I didn't want to be labeled as that woman who had breast cancer. And what Rachel helped me realize is I can help people in a behind-the-scenes kind of way. Now, doing speaking since then, (laughs) I've put myself more out there since then. So I have evolved since that point. But she really showed me that for a cancer patient to have somebody that knows the lingo, that has been in similar shoes, is really, really helpful to them. So walk a mile in my shoes theory. Right. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I don't just understand, I empathize with you because I've been there and done that. And that's a very unique approach to the, to helping people, actually. And that you went back and studied with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition for that regard, right? Yes. I realized that in that moment I described of being pulled out of quicksand, I'm like, I, I need to do, I, I need to take action. I need to live. I can't stay stuck in the fear and I needed to take care of my health in the process. And so when I started studying, it was really first for myself 
it was, it was to look at my own health and make changes. And so I was friends with Rachel at the same time, and she was showing me that I could make a difference. And I was studying about holistic health and I was learning about coaching. And I realized that bringing in, um, aspects of holistic health and helping people is something that I was so passionate about. And it helped me to find what, what I, I feel like I was called to do. And if you can please help some of our listeners understand, because I have new listeners all the time, so that they may not have listened from the beginning. I obviously follow a very holistic and naturopathic approach to healing on my part. So can you help us to understand what holistic means? Right. For me, it means looking at all parts of your life as contributors to your health. So that means that having quality relationships, eating good food, quality food that nourishes your body, incorporating exercise, incorporating stress management, all of those things contribute to your health. And sometimes it means, for some people, it means bringing in non-traditional methods of healing. And for example, acupuncture, because I have neuropathy in my feet uh, as a result of chemotherapy, I, I would struggle to walk if I didn't keep up with acupuncture. And, but really holistic health is looking at the whole person and, and considering all aspects of a person's life that contribute to their health. Now, is there a difference between holistic health and naturopathic? There is, and I am not going to be able to define naturopathic for you. I know they have a different path. Um, but again, for me, holistic health is really taking into consideration all aspects of a person's life. And I also am open to those complementary therapies that I, I believe in the Western medicine. I believe in alternative or complementary therapies that work in conjunction and side by side with Western medicine. I believe in that as well. And um, in regard to that, did that help you through your journey? I mean, did you integrate that within your own life? I know you went to school for it, but once you mm -hmm. integrated that within your life, um, yes. it didn't make a, 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 uh, an improvement. Absolutely. I've completely changed the way I eat and I feel more um, nourished by the foods that I eat. I have gone plant-based and, and feel healthier that way. I believe in that. Um, I have incorporated stress management techniques I have specific breathing techniques that I love to teach people. I, again, I, I've incorporated the acupuncture. Um, I, I exercise on a more regular basis. And I think what I, I, I value relationships more too and, and in-depth relationships and realize how important that is to our health. Yeah, I, um, I wholeheartedly, as my listeners know, I I approach life through the same philosophies, and it works for me. It's got me off the medications that I was on, including the uh, rheumatoid arthritis drugs that they had me on for quite some time, which are similar to chemotherapy, actually, believe it or not. Um, I had a severe reaction to three of them, and the reaction was similar to having an allergic reaction to a, t a tumor necrosis factor inhibitor type drugs, wow. which are used in chemotherapy. Uh, so naturopathic, um, a holistic and a naturopathic approach. I do acupuncture uh, for my pain management and for my mental health, believe it or not, meditation. And uh, I believe in integrating that. They have a great place down here in Arizona that actually integrates holistic health with Eastern and Western medicine whenever it comes to cancer. And um, I'll, I will put the link to that in my show notes, just so people understand that it is available to them. And they do have facilities that 
actually take the time to integrate them and respect you for wanting to integrate that. Um, so in moving f forward in life from that, uh, what inspired you to become a coach? It was really just a process of my online studies with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and understanding that what I was learning, I couldn't not share because I felt like it was so important um, that people understand that they can make changes to improve their health and they can in they they don't have to stay stuck in that fear and they can bring in, for example, that stress management to help them through those difficult days. You know, I stress is always going to be in our lives, whether it's whether you're diagnosed with cancer or not. And it's it's how you manage it. It's and and so I does that answer your question? I, I'm absolutely, sorry. yeah. No, no, that chemo brain does kick in sometimes. <laughs> uh, we all have brain fog. It's okay, right? We right. We right. Getting we older. Three day weekends, and you know, it, this is technically Monday, losing, so it's okay. <laughs> right, losing track of my thoughts already. Um, no, it, it's it. Yeah, it's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I think in uh, what can you? What kind of advice can you give to somebody that? Maybe uh, it's just getting diagnosed with this. What what do you think their first steps should be in order to uh, kind of take a proactive approach? A proactive approach approach to their their plan is that what you're asking? Yes, yeah, so somebody gets a diagnosis like this and they don't know which way to turn and what to do first. Right. Now, what would you What would you recommend to them that, or if they, you know, some of my listeners may have somebody, a family member, or a friend, or a colleague. That right. is just diagnosed with this. What would you recommend they start? Where do they start? Uh, well, a lot of times people are guided by their doctors, and there are many resources. I I like to um, suggest that people also talk to somebody who's been there. Uh, and... And I have to throw a disclaimer in there and say that I am not a physician. I Anything I say is just based on my personal experience. I'm not making medical recommendations. However, I feel like it's valuable for a person to talk to somebody who's been there. And I do offer complimentary uh, discovery calls. Um, I think a person needs to start with figuring out what their diagnosis is, figuring out what their doctor recommends, and talking with somebody who's been there to get some guidance on perhaps, you know, who is, especially if they're local, who is a person that you would recommend? Because having those personal recommendations is a fabulous idea. Or do you, do you find that people withdraw when they get this Kind of a diagnosis. I feel like there's there's a couple of groups of people. Like for me, I wanted information. I wanted to take action. I wanted to be a partner with the healthcare team. And then, like I said, there's people that want to just be guided along. I have a family member who has leukemia, and she prefers to just go to who she's told to go to and follow what they say and do what they say. And, and I feel like really um, the people that take action um, and are more involved in their care, um, I feel like personally that is a good path to go to, to be a partner in your care. But I understand that not that's not a choice for everybody. Well, and obviously, coming from an individual that has gone through this and has experienced this, do you feel it's important to find that support whether and talk about it? Absolutely. Whether it's a family member, a friend, mm -hmm. or a professional, mm -hmm. do you feel that communication is important in helping you to to kind of persevere and and move right. forward in a positive way? Absolutely. I 
I fully admit, when I was first diagnosed, I jumped into function mode and I shoved and shoved everything down. And it wasn't until afterwards when I had gotten through the active treatment, it was like a shock. And I'm like, okay, now what? And I have found that with other cancer patients as well as after that active treatment, they're like, okay, I've, I've gone through this. Now, what do I do now? What do I, my body's completely changed. I have ongoing side effects. Now, what do I do? And, uh, so talking about that, I have one caution is I've mes- I've mentioned these onboard online message boards that I joined. And I feel like people have to be very cautious in that sometimes you read things on there that will scare you even more. And I think you have to learn boundaries and filters so that you don't take in too much that will scare you and and draw your boundaries and understand that it's a really great resource for information and for making friends. But if you're getting to a point where it's scaring you, maybe back away for a little bit. I agree with that. We went through that. We had to learn that when we took care of my father-in-law with Lewy body dementia. We got recommended to get involved in the chats and the um, the groups and the, the online chats and so forth. And we had to kind of step back from it after a little while because it was so overwhelming with so many people coming in at, at different angles. So, yes, I agree with that. Right. Do you have any advice for parents, um, whether it be for special needs or for, for kids, when you get a diagnosis like this? Do you have any advice for parents that are going through this? I do. I feel like it's really important um, to use appropriate language. And of course, this is going to vary depending on what age they are. So I waited to tell my kids when they were diagnosed, I told them that I had cancer. I didn't tell them leading up to it when I was going through testing, but I used appropriate language. I talked about my breasts. I, I didn't sugarcoat things. I explained I was going to lose my hair. And yet I gave them just enough information to let them be informed. And then I let them ask questions. I didn't um, give them so much that they would worry, but kept continually checking in and saying, do you have any questions? I think it's very helpful, especially when you have children, because, and like you said, children at different ages, um, will understand differently. Exactly. You know, and do you see, you know, from a personal perspective, do you think they, well, we'll leave that one off there for. <laughs> so you specialize in supporting people impacted by cancer yes. um, through your individual coaching. Um, what motivates you to continue to do that? Because you kind of relive your own experience each time you coach somebody, don't you? There are times that it's hard. But what motivates me is that I want to make the path easier for people that follow. I can look back with clarity and see things that I didn't do right. And I want to show people that they don't have to just function through it. I want to show people that they can laugh amidst the cancer. And I've always been a caregiver. I've always been somebody who wants to help people. And I think that leads me in wanting to just go forward and and make that path easier for others. Did you have a caregiver when you were going through this or did you go through it alone? I primarily was alone. My mom, she brought me to all my surgeries and I am so fortunate to live within 10 minutes of my cancer center. I was able to drive myself to every appointment um, in, in terms of chemotherapy and radiation. And I'm pretty independent, so I preferred it that way anyway. Um, but I, I had some friends and family that provided meals. But otherwise, I I was pretty much on my own. And... Um, So I think it's important to note that I wish I would have accepted more help than I did. I was going to ask you, do you have any advice for for people that are in that position? I mean, is it okay to ask for help from a caregiver? Absolutely. It's absolutely okay and necessary. I had to let go 
when I was in it, I, I I tried to just let go of, you know, the way the house was in terms of like cleanliness and, you know, accepted that if we ate and we were dressed, it was a good day, you know, during those really hard days. But I wish I would have accepted more help. I want to offer one of my favorite resources to your listeners. So if anybody is going through any major life event, whether it's cancer or or something else, and or maybe like surgery to replace your shoulder, for example, and you think you might need help, carecalendar.org is a really great resource. And there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of meal planners out there for people who are going through things, but carecalendar.org, they have it set up. So like you can also list, for example, if you need your yard mode, people can sign up to do tasks for you or even run to the store and get toilet paper or whatever you need, you know? So it's a great thing for people to set up when they're going through a hard time so that people can join in and helping. And I, oh, that's amazing. I'm an advocate of allowing people to help you. Yeah, that's amazing. I'll put some. I'll put those in the show notes so that uh, people have an easy access to that. Um, do you have any advice for others that are going through the same journey that you've gone through? Again, it's it's uh, allow people to help you. It is accepting that it's not. It, it's going to be hard. And allow yourself to laugh, whether it's, it's looking, it might be looking at a, a video of puppies and kitties falling and playing. I, I encourage family and friends to also um, get on board with that. And, you know, just text a silly joke or, or something. And, and so my, my best advice is to know that um, it's really hard right now. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to say, <laughs> I hesitate to say you're going to get through it because it, the fact is, is it's really hard, but ask for help when you need it. You have a free download available for people on your website, right? I do. So people who are newly diagnosed, sometimes uh, you're told that you're going to be at the cancer center for a half a day or a full day, and you don't know what to bring. So I created a checklist of what do you bring to chemotherapy? It's called the Chemo Go Bag Checklist. And it includes everything that you could possibly want to bring with you for your day at the cancer center. And not everything is going to apply to every person, but it, it gives you a starting point of what to pack so that you're comfortable during that long process. And tell, tell me about your website. How do they so how that does somebody is, get to it? Yes, thank you. It's inspiredvitality.life and it's available right on the website. It'll pop up in a box. Also on the main page, there's a link to, to get that. And there's all their downloads available as well on my main Facebook page, or excuse me, my website page. And I downloaded your checklist, and I want to put out there that uh, it it's a very valuable resource and tool that you can use as an individual that has family members that have gone through cancer um, and cancer treatments. Um, thank you. It's very beneficial. And if you're in thank this you. process, I would recommend to sign up for that and just download it. So you also have a YouTube channel. I do. And that is also called Inspired Vitality. I started that last fall and it is truly about edu offering education and inspiration to anybody who is touched by cancer. And one of my most uh, watched videos is actually something geared towards people who are the caregivers and the family members and the friends. And it is Dear Loved One, a kaleidoscope letter. And it is a compilation of voices of cancer patients saying things like, please don't ask me to be positive. I'm doing the best I can. And it's, it's cancer patients using their voices to express to their loved ones what they're really feeling. Because in the moment, we love and appreciate everything people are doing for us, but it may not re always resonate. And so it's it's the, the cancer patient's opportunity to express how they're feeling. 
That's amazing. And I'll make sure that that's in the show notes as well, so that if, again, people have easy access to both your website and to that YouTube channel. Thanks. I know that on there you also have some other, um, you have a Facebook group and you have uh, practical tips and resources and so forth that will benefit anybody that's going through this journey. Yes. Uh, whether it be from the patient side or the caregiver side or the family member side, it kind of works out really well. So this is one more thing before you go. So is there anything that you'd like to share before we end this conversation? Yes. Cancer or really any diagnosis, as you know, is really hard. And I was thinking about this and I feel like any diagnosis is like an extreme roller coaster of emotions and it can make life really hard. The riders of the roller coaster may dip into those valleys and with effort, you can rise and experience beauty and joy. Sadness and fear and joy and laughter are all connected, just like that roller coaster. And my heartfelt wish for all the listeners is that their hills will help with the ride through the valleys of life. Outstanding. Catherine, thank you very much for sharing your journey thank and you. your resources and your opportunity for people to move forward in life. Um, I will make sure that everything they need is in my show notes in order to connect with you very easy and quickly. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.